I remember when the white South African government announced that after 27 years behind bars, Nelson Mandela was to be moved from the Robben Island prison to the mainland, and it was clear that the authorities were beginning to prepare to give black people the vote and create a real democracy in South Africa. And I have to say, I was amazed. You see, Kirsty and I had lived in South Africa under the racist apartheid government from 1982 to 1985. And it seemed that the white government would forever hold on to power. I wondered what kind of man could spend 27 years breaking rocks on Robben Island and yet still be able to carry the hope of an entire nation and even have the confidence of his long-standing enemies, the white government, that he would be able to bring about a peaceful transition to democracy. I thought it was too good to be true. I wanted to see this legend of a man. I wanted to hear him speak. I wanted to be convinced that perhaps the rumours were true. That here was such an extraordinary man that he might just be able to do it. And although I never met him, of course, with the aid of television and radio, I was able to see him later and to hear him speak. And when I did, I knew that I was listening to a man with a God-given destiny, that he really was the hope of a nation. Our Bible passage this morning began by referring to some Greeks who went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Passover. And they come up to Philip, one of Jesus' followers, and they say, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. The reference to Greeks simply means that they were foreigners and not Jews. Greek was the most widely spoken language in the world outside of Israel. So these were foreigners who had heard amazing stories, amazing things about Jesus. How he'd healed people, how he cared for the poor, and more recently, how he had raised even a dead man, a friend of his called Lazarus, back to life again. And the people were talking about Jesus as the hope of the nation. And these visitors wanted to come and check him out and find out if he was for real, just like I wondered about Nelson Mandela. Jesus was so popular that the local authorities and the religious leaders were jealous and complained that the whole world was going after him. And whenever there's something new and exciting going on, people want to find out what it is. Actually, there are some new and exciting things going on here at St. Matthew's at the moment. Following on from the two holiday clubs we ran in October and February, we now have some 30 or so children attending our kids' church every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Not because their parents tell them to, but because the children are telling their parents, you've got to take us to kids' church. That's how good it is. And they don't just come because of the games and the sketches and the stories, although I'm sure they come partly because of that. They also come, and every week, they find out more about Jesus. And they learn some new aspect of Christian teaching. 
and they learn more about God and how much he loves them. They hear about the hope that he brings to people's lives and the comfort he brings to sad lives and the healing he brings to troubled lives. And this is what those Greeks were doing in our passage that we read. They'd heard about Jesus and they were coming to find out more about him and check him out. And Jesus had a rather surprising response, because instead of saying, oh, that's great, bring them here, I'll tell them all about it, he starts talking about seeds and plants and life and death. And he says that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Well, what he was saying was that if you want something new to grow and thrive and multiply, you have to give something up. You have to sort of say goodbye to the old thing. The Bible scholar Tom Wright recalls the time when he enjoyed the conquer season as a child. Probably most of us did. Getting hold of conkers, taking them out of the, the green spiky cover, drilling a hole in them, putting a string through, and then taking on whoever would fight us with our conkers. But one year, he found a specially large, beautiful-looking conker. And this time, instead of drilling a hole in it and putting a string through it, he decided to dig a hole in the ground and bury it. And then he watered it. And the next year, there was a little shoot coming up through the ground where it was. And the year after that, there was a young sapling. And of course, it would have gone on to grow up into a full-size chestnut tree and produce hundreds if not thousands of conkers over the years. But he had to be prepared to lose that conker and not to use it to fight. He had to be prepared to say goodbye to it, to bury it in the ground in order for it to grow and multiply. And Jesus uses the picture of the grain of wheat to explain to his listeners that that is what would be required of them if they wanted to become his followers that they would have to give up their own agendas, the things that they held onto, in order to find a new kind of life, a better kind of life. And if they weren't prepared to do that, they would miss out on what Jesus had for them. And it's the same cry that Nelson Mandela made to his fellow black South Africans, who had so many reasons to take revenge on the white population, for all the torture, the beatings, the deaths, the rapes, the humiliation. But he insisted that if they were to, be, to truly find freedom and peace in their, in their land, they would have to forgive their old enemies. They would have to give up all that stored up hatred and pain and bury it in order to start a new life based on love. And this is the kind of thing that baptism represents. We saw, didn't we, at the beginning of the service, the video of that young boy going down under the water of baptism and being raised back up again. And in baptism, that is symbolic of a person's intent to bury their old life and leave it behind under the water and rise up to a new life to follow Jesus. Of course, in an infant baptism, parents and godparents do that on the child's behalf. But it's a decision to stop chasing after all of the things 
that the world runs after money, power, celebrity, control, material possessions. To, to, to let go of all that and to join the Jesus way of doing life instead. But here's a question that may have occurred to those Greeks who came to find Jesus. Why should they trust him? Well, they'd heard lots of good things about him, but why should they trust him? Why should they be prepared to lay down their old lives and start living in a new way? The way of Jesus, based on love and forgiveness. And that's a very good question that you may well want to ask today. Why should you even pay any attention to what Jesus said? Or even, for that matter, to what Pad says about Jesus or what he said? Well, here's why. Jesus tells us in verse 32 of our passage, And I, he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to indicate the kind of death that he was going to die. The reason why those Greeks came looking for Jesus, or even we sitting here today, should consider laying down our old lives and following Jesus is because that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. Jesus knew that he would be strung up on a cross in terrible pain and suffering, that he would die the worst possible death in agony and in shame in order to save us from our sins. And he wasn't looking forward to it. Verse 27 says, Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But at the same time, he knew that it was his destiny. And so he goes on to say, No, it is for this reason that I have come. Father, glorify your name. And that's remarkable. I mean, how can God's name be glorified if Jesus is to be nailed to a cross and executed? How, how can that be? Well, it's no mistake that this reading comes just in the run-up to Easter. Because it is at Easter, of course, that we celebrate the fact that three days after Jesus was nailed to a cross and killed and buried, Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to hundreds of people over a five-week period. And that that extraordinary event, which we call the resurrection, was the thing that ignited a movement that spread across the whole known world and resulted in the fact that two billion people in the world today call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And they get baptised. So what does it mean? to be a Christian? What does it mean to say, I'm a Christian? Well, some people just use the term to mean a sort of a nice person. Oh, they're a Christian sort of a person. But of course, that surely cannot be what it means. I'm sure there are lots of very nice people here this morning and all over the country who wouldn't necessarily call themselves Christians. That's, that's not what it means. Some people say, that they were born into a Christian family or into a Christian country. So that makes them a Christian. But being born into a Christian environment can't make you a Christian any more than being born into McDonald's could make you a Big Mac, could it? It simply doesn't follow. And some people say, well, I believe in God. But if we think about it, so do Muslims, so do Hindus, so do Jews. 
so do many, many other kinds of people believe in a God. So that cannot be what makes a person a Christian. To be a Christian is to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's why they're called, we're called Christians, Christians. And some people also think that you must have to be really good, a really good person to be a Christian. Or that, perhaps worse, some people think that Christians think of themselves as really good people. So let me put the record straight on both those two ideas. Because the first requirement of being a Christian is to know that we are sinners. In other words, that we have done things that are wrong and that we do things that are wrong. And that we're in need of a saviour. In other words, in need of rescuing from the consequences of all of the things that we have done wrong and that we do wrong. So that's the first requirement. The second requirement is to understand that the only person who can rescue us is Jesus because he laid down his life on the cross and took upon himself all that you or I have ever done wrong or said wrong or thought wrong and paid the penalty for us. And the third and final requirement of being a Christian is what Jesus referred to in our passage this morning. He said, whoever serves me must follow me. In other words, he says that to call ourselves Christians requires that we make a conscious decision to follow Jesus with our lives. And the first step in that process is to be baptised. And when young children are baptised, as I said, it's the parents who make the decision that their child will be brought up in the Christian faith. But the crucial thing to realise is that baptism isn't a badge of honour. It's not the end of something. It's the start of a journey, a wonderful journey of faith and hope and love and joy. And I know that the children who go to our kids' church love coming to church. And I hope and pray that Roxy and Riley and James, when they grow up, as they grow up, will all find the joy of discovering God's love through Jesus Christ for themselves. And the challenge for us adults is to keep choosing to follow Jesus as well. The passage tells us that when we do, God is glorified in our lives, and then we really live as we were always meant to. And I'll finish in a sense where I started. I'm going to finish with a quote from Nelson Mandela himself. He said this, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant or gorgeous or talented or fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. 
If you'd like to learn more about God's love and how that works out in our lives, you're very welcome to join us any Sunday morning at 10 a.m. here at St. Matthew's, when we, as well as the children in Kids Church, learn a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus. Amen.